It's a dirty, filthy job, but it's got to be done. There's a battle going on. It's got to be won. I'm a million miles from home in a foreign place. The battleground this time, you see, is outer space. I'm the defender. A mutant bender. Greetings, users and programs, and welcome to episode number 14 of Cactus Flax Podcast, the show in which I will be discussing all of the arcade cabinets that I've actually owned. I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara, and on today's show, I will be covering Defender, which was released in 1981 by Williams. As always, we'll kick off the show with a review of the game, followed by my personal memories of the Defender cabinet I actually owned. Defender is described as an action-slash-side-scrolling shooter. It is considered to be not the first side-scrolling arcade game of all time, but the first side-scrolling shooter that essentially invented the side-scrolling shooter genre. The object of the game is to save Earth by protecting the humans from wave after wave of attacking aliens. Defender was the first game developed in-house by Williams, and it was developed by the very famous Eugene Jarvis. Now, Eugene Jarvis worked for Williams. He developed Defender, and after Defender was released, he got the green light to continue working on other games, including Stargate, and a game that he is at least as well known for developing, which is Robotron. He also did Blaster, and he moved up into a director position. He was a director over game development for many years. He worked on all the cruising USA and cruising uh, games. He even worked on the Jurassic Park game released in 2015. So he is uh, still a relevant contributor to the arcade business today. Williams sold a total of 55,000 Defender cabinets. If you were not around in the early 1980s, it is difficult to explain just how popular Defender was. Defender was right up there with uh, Pac-Man and Space Invaders and Galaga uh, or Galaxian, really, of that time and all of the, um, the big names in the arcade industry. It is often referred to as being the most difficult to play popular arcade game of all time. And that has a little bit to do with the game's control panel. If you've only played Defender on uh, home video game consoles or home computers or maybe even MAME, you may not be familiar with what an actual Defender control panel looks like. Uh, the de control panel for Defender has a two-way joystick that only moves up and down. That's what moves your ship up and down on the screen. There are also five buttons. Uh, that includes fire, which launches your lasers. There's a 
thrust, which moves you forward. There is a reverse button, which reverses the direction of your ship. There is a secondary weapon, your smart bombs that you have a limited number of. And then there is the hyperspace button, which should only be used as a last resort as it will randomly teleport you to somewhere else on the planet. Sometimes that is good. Sometimes that's not so good. Uh, Defender is a one or two player game. So there are also one and two player buttons, which are not normally used during normal gameplay, but the overall look of the Defender control panel is a bit intimidating, especially I would expect to modern gamers. The overlay itself is a series of lines and, and grids that make it look like a complicated computer panel. Again, you are working with a two-way joystick and five buttons, uh, three of which have to be used all the time. Fire, thrust, and reverse you have to constantly use um, smart bombs. You will be searching for that button <laughs> as some of the enemies close in on you. And then again, there's also the hyperspace button, which is kind of uh, an homage to asteroids, being able to um, jump away from danger, possibly into a better situation, possibly into a worse situation. Uh, the cabinet, I would describe as being a very old school style cabinet. This is a wooden cabinet with a solid layer of black paint with graphics that have been painted onto it using a stencil uh, on the side. There's this cool looking space dude. Um, all the graphics are kind of doubled in a way they're, they're layered uh, and the graphics consist of red paint and then yellow paint on top of that. Um, but you get this, um, not just on the side, but throughout the entire arcade cabinet, you get this space theme, uh, on the, uh, marquee, you can see pictures of stars and you have the word defender in those red and yellow letters. And then above where it says defender, it also says Williams. Now this was something that I don't know, um, you know, the arcade industry was still pretty young in 1981 and Williams wanted people to know who had made this machine. Uh, I think a lot of games, people would see the names and they would recognize the, the games, but Williams, uh, of course had history with, um, uh, pinball and, and some arcade stuff. Uh, but they wanted to build this brand. And so uh, not only on the marquee, not only does it say Defender, but it does say Williams uh, Defender. So, uh, but again, the cabinet is mostly black with red and yellow. It's the same colors that are on the marquee. Uh, I have seen... I believe the original T molding, that's the plastic molding that goes around all the rough edges of the arcade machine. I believe the original T molding was red, although doing research, I found ones that have red, some that have yellow. So the yellow ones may just be uh, custom uh, choices that people have made when restoring these machines. But um, but it, it, it has a look. It has a theme. Whenever you see Defender, uh, you definitely know what you're, what you're looking at. I mean, it's very unique looking, uh, defender was available in both a standup and a cocktail version. And so the cocktail version was also uh, very popular. I don't know how many of them were cocktails out of the 55,000 cabinets that were made, but some subset of those were cocktail cabinets as well. 
Uh, in Defender, you fly horizontally. You're in control of a spaceship, and your job is to shoot the aliens that are generating. Some come down from the top of the screen. Some materialize. Uh, and you must protect the Earth below from these invading aliens who some are intent on abducting the humans that are walking around on the bottom of the screen, and some are intent on killing you. <laughs> uh, the play field is much larger than the actual screen, so you have to fly left and right to find all the aliens and to be able to track all those aliens and the humans that are remaining on the planet. There is a radar at the top of the screen, which shows the entire uh, play field. There are lots of games that use that later on, but this is the first one uh, I remember being like that. This and Rally X were the first two games I remember having a radar that showed you that things were happening outside of your immediate field of view. Uh, now, those aliens will swoop down and pick up the humans, and when they do that, you can shoot the aliens, and the human will begin to fall down to the earth, and if you are fast and nimble enough, you can catch those humans. You can also carry multiple humans at one time and lower them all to the ground safely for a nice bonus. So again, let's get back to those controls, because they're very uh, difficult to master, especially if you came into the arcade game, uh, arcade scene a little bit later than 191. In the early days, things were not very uniform. So uh, Space Invaders, for example, had buttons to move you left and right. Um, Galaxian had a two-way joystick to move you left and right. This had a combination of a two-way joystick and a lot of buttons <laughs> uh, to be able to move around. So uh, controlling this game is not easy, especially at the beginning. It reminds me of uh, patting your head and rubbing your stomach at the same time. You have to be able to to um, not just button mash, but hit the right buttons at the right time. And it does take a little bit of learning to be able to do uh, uh, repeatedly uh, during gameplay. Now, this game was released in 1981, so it is a very early arcade game. In fact, a lot of the games before this were not even in color. So uh, you have to put put it in the the proper frame of time when looking at this game's graphics. The background is depicted by a single brown line that represents a uh, uh, an outline of mountains. And in fact, if you look at the game, things don't really scroll. What scrolls is the background. So it creates this illusion by moving uh, the, the outline of the mountains and stars that are in the background. And that creates the illusion of the ship actually moving to the left and right. And it works really well in this game. Uh, your ship is white. I always thought it looked like the Battlestar Galactica Viper. Uh, it has flames that come out of the back, which is a nice little effect. And then there are multiple different types of aliens and they all look very distinct, so you can immediately uh, recognize each one and see what they are or aren't about to do. <laughs> um, the people are peopleish. They kind of look like people. They have little heads, and they kind of move around uh, the bottom of the screen. Uh, but the lasers, I always thought the lasers had a really good graphical effect. They kind of fade colors after they've been shot, so they go from white, and they fade to a almost maybe a green or a light blue and then a purple color as they fade away. Um, 
I when I was young, I always thought this was a vector game. It's not. It's a normal CRT monitor, but the way that it does the graphics, it almost reminds me of a vector style game. And one of the most memorable things, and it's something uh, if you are just starting to play Defender, you'll see a lot, is when your ship explodes <laughs> and there is a giant explosion of pixels that just uh, radiate out from your ship. It's almost like a firework going off, and it's a really cool uh, effect that they put in. Uh, but there are lots of flashing lights, lasers, explosions. Uh, it's a very busy-looking game, especially once you get past the first couple of levels. Now, going with those graphics are the sounds. There is no background music, um, but every single thing in this game has a sound, and every sound is unique. Like the, there's the, the general rumble of your ship. And then there's a separate sound. When you apply thrust, uh, your lasers have shots, the humans being picked up, make a very unique sound. So when you hear that sound, you have to be able to react because it may not be in your immediate field of view. You may have to refer to the radar at the top of the screen and find where that human is located. If you shoot an alien that is holding a human being, it will begin to fall. That makes a sound. And all the other types of aliens make sounds. So again, uh, once you've played this game a few times, you'll be able to begin reacting just on the sounds that you're hearing, even if they're happening to things that are appearing off screen to you at that time. Uh, Defender was, as I mentioned, a very, very popular game. It didn't start off life as a popular game. There's a famous story that it was introduced at uh, an arcade expo in 1981, and it was very unpopular because it was so complicated. But once it made it to arcades, it really caught a second wind. Uh, gamers loved it, especially people that were looking for challenging uh, space shoot 'em up style games. Again, that sideways scrolling uh, is something that we just take for granted today in a space shoot 'em up game, but it was pretty uh, breakthrough technology at that time. And of course, once a game in the arcade was popular, the first thing companies wanted to do was figure out how could they get this game to people at home. Defender was released for the Adventure Vision. It was released on the Apple II, the Atari 2600, the 5200, the 8-bit line of computers, the ColecoVision, Commodore 64, the Intellivision, Macintosh computers, PC booters, the TI-99-4A, and the VIC-20. Now... One of the things, if you've played any of those versions and you've played the arcade version, you know that those controls are going to be different. So the arcade controls were adapted to the home versions of the games. For example, on the Atari 2600 uh, and most of these games, there is no separate thrust button. There is no separate reverse button. All you do is use your four-way joystick to control the ship, left, right, up, down, it makes this game so much easier. <laughs> it is a control system that makes sense. Um, now, some people, I think real defender aficionados might say that it takes away from the challenge of the game to not have those original controls, but that never stopped me from playing it. I played this game a lot on the Atari 2600 and on the Commodore 64 as a kid, and I found those controls uh, to be much more desirable. There was also a dedicated handheld version of Defender that came out, I believe, in 1983. It was one of those LCD screen 
games and it has essentially the same controls that are on the arcade, except for they're even maybe more complicated because instead of an up and down joystick, there are also buttons for that. So imagine a home uh, or portable game that you held in your hands and with up and down buttons and fire and thrust and reverse and hyperspace and super bomb all to be controlled by your thumbs. Uh, it was not easy to master. I will tell you that. And by the way, it takes four C cell batteries to run. So this was, uh, even though it was portable, this was kind of a hefty little gaming system that you had to, uh, <laughs> to hold in your hands to play. Uh, again, I can't state it enough. Defender was super popular, especially with the release of the home versions of the games. Uh, Buckner and Garcia made a song about Defender that was released on their Pac-Man Fever album. That was one of the, I think, eight arcade games that they wrote songs about. Uh, Defender was released as a board game, one of those video game to board game conversions. Uh, Atari started their Atari Force comic book, and they started uh, releasing those and inserting them in with games, and the very first one was Defender. So if you want to see a little bit of the background of Atari Force and the Atari Age comics, you can go look that up, uh, look up for Atari Force, and the very first issue is all about Defender. Uh, Defender was, um, that was the first one, by the way. Uh, they, they continued those, I think Galaxian, a lot of the space games, Star Raiders, um, Phoenix, maybe I think, um, but a lot of their, their space related games had, uh, those comic books in them. Uh, Defender is still popular today. Uh, Atari or not Atari arcade classics. Those little mini arcade cabinets has released a, uh, Defender machine. Hallmark made a Defender Christmas ornament several years ago. Um, in 2020, I believe it was, I bought a set of metal lunchboxes that were brand new that included uh, Gauntlet and Robotron, and one of them was Defender. So people uh, are still purchasing Defender memorabilia and versions of the game today. Of course, it was re-released on a lot of Williams uh, best of hits for different consoles over the years as well. Now, I already alluded to my history with this game. I I was going to say I saw Defender in the arcades, but who couldn't? <laughs> Defender was everywhere. Uh, I tried my hand at playing Defender. I was not good at it then. I'm not good at it now. Uh, the control system was just a little bit too complicated for my tiny hamster brain. Um, but I did play it a lot on the Atari 2600, and I did play it a lot 
on the Commodore 64. One great thing about some of those home versions, including the Commodore, is that it has different skill levels. There's a novice, advanced, and expert uh, selection built into the game. So playing it on novice was a a little bit more my speed. Uh, And those home versions, most of those are fairly competent. Uh, Even the Atari 2600 is a good version. Um, But one of the things that you'll see across the board is that they don't have the great sound that the arcade version has. The, the arcade version of Defender just has such a unique, um, some of the sounds are high, some of them are bassy, but it just has a, a really uh, unique sound, and it kind of sounds like that early 80s uh, science fiction, I don't know, it's, it's tough to explain, but uh, none of them captured the sound of the arcade game, the arcade version uh, just reigned supreme in the audio department. So let's talk a little bit about my personal Defender cabinet. And I will set this as a spoiler. Um, My Defender cabinet did not work. I got a call from a friend of mine who lives in a nearby town one night. And my friend called me and said, hey, there is a local daycare, which is not too far from his house. And as he was driving by, he noticed two things. Number one, the daycare was for sale. (laughs) The daycare was no longer open. And number two, sitting outside was a Defender cabinet. Now, what on earth would a Defender cabinet be doing at a daycare? I don't know. And he didn't know. And this friend happened to have a contact with local law enforcement. And so he said, I won't help you get it. (laughs) I won't help you move it. But I will give you this tip that they do their shift change at midnight, which means everybody needs to be in, uh, checked in five or 10 minutes before shift change. And they don't leave for five or 10 minutes after shift change, which gives you somewhere between a 10 and 20 minute window (laughs) to pick up this cabinet. Now, do I really feel like I was stealing an arcade cabinet? Not really. I mean, this daycare, uh, for what I what I found out, had been for sale for a long time and had been abandoned. So uh, the people that had moved out had taken everything they wanted to take. So this was definitely something that had been left behind and was just sitting out, leaning up against the building, uh, the, the front side of the building on the porch. So uh, I, I didn't feel like someone was coming back for it. And according to my friend, it had been there for quite a while. So, uh, this seemed more like left behind trash that nobody wanted. So that's at least how I justified it in my head. Now at the time I had my pickup and my plan of attack was very simple. I drove to this nearby town. I found a place to park (laughs) and I waited until about five till midnight, at which point I drove to this daycare. Uh, I had the tailgate down on my truck. I backed up to the machine. I got behind it. I shoved it over into my truck and took off. (laughs) I didn't even tie it down. I drove uh, the far way out of town to an area that was, I mean, literally, this is Oklahoma, literally a dirt road. (laughs) This was an area without street lights. I mean, I was out in the middle of nowhere at 10 past midnight. Uh, And once I was, you know, outside of the city limits, I grabbed a couple of of tie-down straps and I secured it to the bed. And then I kind of took the long way around (laughs) 
that down to get back to my house where I unloaded the arcade cabinet. But that is how I got my original Defender cabinet. Now, I hadn't actually been able to take a look at it until I got it home. So uh, that night I got home, I unloaded it quickly into my garage and hit it <laughs> just in case anybody saw what I was up to. And uh, there were, a, because the one side of the machine was up against the wall of the building. And so that side was in pretty good condition, but the other side had been exposed to the elements for, I don't know how long. So the wood was, and this, this cabinet, these were like originally made from plywood and there were layers of the plywood in different portions that were missing. Like it had just started rotting. Every time I touched the bottom of the cabinet or the one side of the cabinet or actually anywhere near the, the bottom of the, of two or three sides, uh, pieces of wood just came off. This thing had probably sat out in the rain. It had been on the elements that had been exposed to the sun. Uh, the, the side that was exposed to the sun, part of it, it was tough to tell that it was a defender cabinet. So, um, saving the actual wood on this cabinet for the most part, was not going to be possible. Now the side that was up against the building was almost completely preserved. Um, it wasn't perfect because this is a, a cabinet from 1981 and we're talking 2010s. So, you know, this, this could have been a 30 year old machine at this point, but all things considered, it didn't look that bad and it didn't, hadn't been exposed to rain or anything. So it wasn't rotting. So, uh, I ended up disassembling the cabinet, which was pretty easy to do. I mean, <laughs> just kicking it and touching it in random places that big chunks of wood were falling off. Uh, and I threw the majority of the actual wooden cabinet in my garbage can. Uh, but the side that was perfect, I kept and using wood screws, I attached it to the inside door of my home arcade. <laughs> so inside my arcade, I had a big red wooden door and then I attached to the side. I had screwed the last, the outside of the defender cabinet. And so every day when I opened the door and went in there and looked, I could look at the side of that defender cabinet, which I thought, uh, was a really cool thing to do. Uh, especially since the other part was just too far gone. It was, it was just, um, unsavable. Now, uh, I was able to save the marquee. The marquee looked like a brand new marquee. I mean, it looked like something you would buy today off of eBay. It was, the glass was perfect. The artwork was perfect. Um, it was probably the nicest part of the machine. Uh, the control panel was pretty beaten up, but I was able, I don't remember if I sold it or gave it to someone, but, um, but I got rid of it to someone, uh, who was working on a defender cabinet and didn't have the original joystick or buttons. And this one did. So they were able to uh, use the parts off of that machine. Um, everything else inside electronically was not good. I mean, the control, the, um, uh, like the power supply was rusted and gross <laughs> and, and, um, uh, just filthy, you know, it was just, just not going to be usable or recoverable. Uh, the bottom of the arcade cabinet was filled with doll parts and dolls and some little kid toys. And what it appears 
is that they were using it actually as like a toy chest at the daycare and they were opening the back of the arcade machine uh, and putting toys in there. They're outside toys, which is a very, very strange use for a 1981 Defender cabinet, especially when I tell you that the monitor still worked. <laughs> of all the parts inside there that were bad, the, the PCB was so rusted and damaged. Uh, when I moved it, parts were like coming off. I mean, the, the PCB was just unusable. The wiring was all <laughs> shredded and, and, you know, everything in there was just gross. Um, but the monitor looks surprisingly good. And so I also around that same time inherited a Mortal Kombat one machine that quote unquote plays blind. And what that means is that it turns on, it makes sound. You can tell that the game is running, but there's no video. And the problem with that machine was that the monitor was bad. I took this defender monitor and plugged it right in and it worked fine. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't have maybe this, and I didn't know as much about arcade machines then as I do now. So I should have looked and maybe it was not the original, uh, monitor that came with a defender, but, uh, whatever it was, it still worked. And I actually put that monitor in my mortal Kombat machine and was able to create an entire working machine, uh, by, uh, now I did have defender cabinets always have burn in, uh, which is where, because the game has been left on so long that parts of the image, uh, actually burn themselves into the screen. You're sure if you have old school televisions, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, uh, other than that, and of course, when the game's running for the most part, especially when things are moving on the screen, you don't see it. And, uh, it, it absolutely, uh, it absolutely looked great. <laughs> so that was kind of the story of my defender. Now I did end up many years later getting a multi Williams arcade cabinet. So this was not a dedicated defender machine. Uh, if you're if you go to arcades today or you go to a place and you see these arcade cabinets that have a whole bunch of games in them, uh, and they always have 60 games. It's called a 60 and one. Um, and sometimes they say arcade classics on them and, and it'll have six games to the screen. You can pick, you know, different games, Donkey Kong. And it's a lot of classic games, but they, they have a vertical monitor. So, um, it's like a TV that's turned on its side. Well, uh, a multi-Williams arcade cabinet has 19 games, so it doesn't have as many as the 60-in-1, and the monitors are horizontal. They're not vertical, uh, which is weird because one of the games uh, right off the bat is, is Joust. Now, uh, at the time when I was getting rid of all my arcade machines, I met a local seller who had restored uh, this machine. And when I say restored... This wasn't an original machine that was sold, uh, but if you looked at it from the out, I mean, if you just looked at it, you would think it was some sort of original Williams cabinet. It had stenciled artwork on the side. It looked really, really good. And so what we ended up doing, and this was, uh, this was a decision I struggled with for, I want to say a week. It could have been multiple weeks. But I was trying to sell arcade games for a hundred or two hundred dollars. He was selling this machine for a thousand dollars. Now, in retrospect, my machines were worth probably just as much as his. But that's not the way I saw it at the time. And my problem wasn't 
what games are worth more or not worth more. My problem was I didn't have any space. I only had space for one or two arcade cabinets. And so what I ended up doing was trading five of my machines. I think it was five to this guy to get this one really nice, really restored up and running machine. I mean, it was nice enough that we could put it in our home and it didn't look like some beat up arcade cabinet. Like most of my cabinets look like it looked like something that you would have purchased. Like, you know, maybe one of those arcade one up machines today. It looked like a brand new uh, machine. It was really nice looking. Um, so I, like I said, I did struggle with that decision a lot just because I was giving up so much. Um, and also I knew that this guy's intent was to take those machines, strip them out and turn them into more multi machines to sell. So, but you know, I was, I had, my games were in a storage unit and they were costing me hundreds of dollars just to store every month and I had to get rid of them. So that was, uh, the choice that I make. I don't know that it was the best financial choice, but space wise and time wise, I just, I had to do something. Um, the, uh, 19 and one multi Williams had defender stargate joust splat and blaster. Those are all Williams games. It also had several Nintendo games, including super Mario brothers, the original Mario brothers and ice climber. And then it had some other random games like rally X ghost of goblins, gradius, uh, Solomon's key, Mr. Do run run, uh, so it was a uh, an okay cabinet, but uh, because of the way uh, it was laid out with the joystick and the buttons, you played Defender like you played it on the home versions, where you're using the joystick to go up, down, left, right, and not in the traditional sense, um, which was much easier. I actually enjoyed uh, doing that, and I ended up getting rid of that cabinet. I sold that cabinet as part of a package deal to the Arcadia Retrocade, and I believe... Last time I was there, that machine was up and running and in their party room. So if you happen to go to the Arcadia Retrocade in Arkansas, you can stop by and stick your head in the party room and you can see the machine that used to be in my living room. I looked up the current value of Defender, but I believe the list that I have been referring is way uh, out of, out of date because it says 800 to 1200, uh, would be the, the going price. And I found them for much more than that online. Uh, there is a arcade one up version of defender. I believe it's like the 40th anniversary, uh, machines that were released and those go for five to 600. I've found many of those for sale or sold on eBay, uh, for about five fifty five sixty. Uh, I found the most recent defender, vintage arcade cabinet that sold on eBay sold for 1900. So that's why I think the, the price guide I've been referring may be out of range. Uh, there is a, uh, I saw a PCB for sale for defender, which was listed or not listed, but sold for one thirty, and it said as is untested. So, uh, defender stuff, you know, especially the early arcade stuff, uh, is pretty expensive these days. There is a J rock that's J R O K replacement board that you can pop into old Williams cabinets. And it is a FPGA motherboard that plays defender Robotron and joust. Uh, and it's FPGA. It's, it's very, very accurate. And those sell for about 400. So if you have 
one of those old Williams cabinets in the PCB or the, uh, you know, maybe all the parts are missing or you just, you know, the PCB is bad, whatever. You could just put one of these boards in there and it will play three games. Uh, but, but again, they're FPGA. So they're, they're really, really, uh, authentic replications of the original games. I always ask myself the question, would I buy this machine again? Would I buy a Defender? And I can just say no. <laughs> Defender is too complicated for me. I'm not good at it. I get frustrated with the buttons. Uh, it was not a favorite of mine as a kid, so I probably would not buy Defender. Now, uh, I wouldn't be against playing it again on one of those multi bundle systems, especially one that's set up with the simpler controls, but a flat out dedicated Defender cabinet is probably not in my future. Uh, that being said, Defender is a classic game. I mean, everybody knows what Defender is, but there's really, when you get down to the actual arcade version, uh, there are only a few people that actually enjoy it. And I would say fewer than that, that are any good at it. <laughs> it's really hard to play. And part of that is because that control system, I mean, Defender comes to us from a time when there really weren't standards. Uh, so, you know, there were games where, I mean, if, again, if you think about Space Invaders, oh, I need to move left and right, I'll put buttons. Or I need to move left and right, I'll put a two-way joystick. Or, you know, left and right, a two-way joystick for Joust. But other games, a four-way or eight-way, you know. So there were just a lot of different um, and if you've ever seen computer space, I mean, I think that goes down in history as uh, one of the most complicated control panels, but gosh, I think the vendor probably, um, gives it a run for its money in complexity. Uh, and it just takes a lot of time to be able to get the muscle memory down. And so you're not looking at the buttons and trying to find the hyperspace button right before, uh, you have impending doom. Uh, but the game, I mean, there's no questioning that it's a classic. I'm not saying it's not a classic. It has uh, really cool graphics, especially for that era. Uh, great, great sound. Again, I, I just can't, uh, I can't say how much that a lot of those home versions did not capture the sound of the arcade version. The arcade version just has fantastic sound. Um, and it gave us so much, you know, it gave us that idea of having a radar at the top. I remember seeing chopper command, uh, from Activision and thinking, what a, what a neat idea. And then realizing, oh, this is <laughs> straight from Defender. It's the exact same thing. Uh, and really, it is responsible for giving us that side-scrolling shooting genre, you know. So uh, it is a classic, but I guess the reason why I wouldn't purchase it again is just, frankly, I'm just no good at it. Next month, I will be talking about Double Play Baseball. So tune in sometime next month, and I will be talking all about the Double Play Baseball which, spoiler, came in a Williams cabinet. You can find all my podcasts, including previous episodes of Cactus Flax, over at podcast.robohara.com, and you can subscribe to this show through iTunes or the Amigos Retro Gaming feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos podcast. If you'd like to see pictures of all my old arcade machines, go to robohara.com forward slash arcade to experience a very outdated web archive. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com 
Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you here in the arcade next month. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of Patreon listeners like these. For my 8-bit supporters, that includes Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Daniel Jaleppa, Dave Velociraptor, Dave Zilly, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Extent to the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Peron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Nathan Dagenhart, Olav Hope, Patrick Markey, Paul Morano, Petzl, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robbie Ray, Robot Doctor 82, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, Scrap Arcade, Stephen Bird, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gossie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. And from my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boatshead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Michael Ryan, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, John Hudson Mackay and Scott Van Drasick, Steve Sharippa, Vintage Volts, Zyke, and Mr. Wacky. (laughs) 